You're now listening to our second episode on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yay! Yay! I'm so excited. Sanity at the Who movies. Who knew this would be the one that we were really excited to talk about, Nathan? Not me. No. Obviously, it is our favorite film. Jake's got the poster. Yeah. He actually hung it on his ceiling so that every night he can, <laughs> can just look. lay on his back, cuddle up to his <laughs> wife, <laughs> and just look at just <laughs> 60-year-old Harrison Ford yep. and uh, and uh, what's it, Karen uh Not Karen Knightley. Yeah, uh, I know. That, Karen, that, that, Karen Allen. They should have gotten Karen Knightley. <laughs> she, she could have, like, acted or something. Well, I, I, was, I was somehow making a portmanteau of... Karen and Kiara. This is like Kieran. Kieran. You know, for a long time, it was Indiana Jones' daughter that was part of the pitch. I was actually looking the other day at some, you know, scripts that floated around. So there was Indiana Jones versus the Saucer Men, which in some form was like just George Lucas going nuts. I would actually love to see this. This one I might actually really like. And you might too. You know, it is like the prequel. Why does nobody want to let George Lucas just go nuts anymore? Like... I know that everybody reacted hard to the prequels, but goodness gracious. But here's the thing about the prequels. They've never not made a ton of money. From a business standpoint, the prequels did just fine. And it really wasn't one of those kinds of Batman versus Superman thing where it made more money than you or I could ever dream of, but it didn't actually do a billion dollars like they wanted it to. The prequels just simply were... Moneymakers. Moneymakers. And Clone Wars and the merchandise, like... And everything that's come out of it, people still show the prequels to their kids and the kids like the prequels better than the original trilogy. And Yeah, they were moneymakers and they were legacy builders and they continue to be moneymakers to this day. In, the, in terms of the world building that was done and in terms of the technological advances pioneered through the creation of those movies, like mm-hmm. it's just like, yo, let George go. You know, free George. Yeah, George, honestly, I mean... I suppose we've gone off on this rant a million times. We don't have to do it again. But he knew what kids wanted. It turns out a bunch of middle-aged men that only want you to recreate the feeling of th- that they had Their as young childhood. kids watching those old movies, they aren't the target audience. Yep. And so I don't know whether George Lucas would have made a good Indiana Jones movie. I think it probably would have leaned even more into the things that people don't like, like Nuke the Fridge, like gopher, CGI gophers, like let's get a bunch of monkeys to attack cape yeah and let's have the ants pull them down the hole and eat them alive and and i don't really like any of those things but i think in a curious way this movie is splitting the difference you know and that's the one thing you can't do yeah exactly if you want to go whole hog into like i am famously don't be afraid of failing if you're gonna do indiana jones don't be afraid of failing right And, and what you don't want to do like you can do classical crisp spielbergian action or you can follow the Peter Jackson model. You know, I mean, I, as a guilty pleasure, enjoy like seeing CGI dwarves defy physics as their barrels go flying through the air and stuff like that. People's mileage may vary on that sort of thing. Or, or that I think I'm the only person in the world that liked Peter Jackson's King Kong, which is such a ridiculous. Never saw it. Yeah, I <laughs> didn't even like feel compelled to see it. But if you did, it's like the purest experience of jacksonian action and jacksonian physics there's a scene where like king kong is fighting two t-rexes off a cliff and then they get caught in vines and they go tumbling and the woman is hanging on to one of the t-rex's teeth as they go it's just it's so stupid 
and it's so Looney Tunes, and it's so over the top. Is it as stupid as Legolas running up falling blocks while fighting? It's about that stupid. I mean, it's right on that. But to me, like, I like Legolas running up blocks. I mean, it's it's awful. It's stupid, but it's proud of itself, and it's you know, <laughs> it's really glad to. It's really excited to be here. <laughs> it's, it's 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 excited to be here, and I can take that. Like, it's you know, I'm just glad to. Uh, we've got a cheerful, obnoxious friend. <laughs> So happy that he gets to be part of the crowd. Well, and Peter Jackson, to me, always does seem like there's the boy on the playground who's like, I saw Indiana Jones, and Indiana Jones slid under a truck. There's that boy on the playground. And then there's the boy on the playground that's like, oh, yeah? Well, I made up a game where my hero, Indiana Bones, slid under five trucks, and then (laughs) he killed, like, 20 Nazis with, you know, there's that one punch. and, And that's... Peter Jackson. It's like bigger is better, more is more. <laughs> if Legolas, if the, the audience liked Legolas shield surfing, then surely they'll like him elephant surfing. If they liked him elephant surfing, of course they'll like him barrel surfing and spider surfing. And we cannot do without. I Legolas mean, Legolas surfing. We are just going to push into self parody. And Spielberg has actually a number of moments like that. There's that stupid part where uh, Karen Allen drives the truck over the cliff and it hits the tree and then it flips slowly lowers itself into the oh no 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 yeah yeah it lowers them into the water and then it snaps back and hits the bad guys and knocks them down it's so stupid but if the whole movie was promising you that and then delivering that and okay it wouldn't feel like indiana jones i don't know that any of us would like it but at least it would feel like a cohesive something it's like the prequels the physics are weird it's way over the top it's a lot different than star wars you can either get on board with it or you can Decide reject it, it sucks yeah. decide it sucks and everybody kind of did one of those two things indiana jones could have i submit to you i guess i mean it's probably not the best idea i'm not saying it's my ideal but they could have just done cgi cartoon indiana jones or they could have done crisp clean awesome indiana jones but what really doesn't work is having it kind of feel like it's supposed to be set in our world with our physics and then suddenly you're doing peter jackson physics yeah. And like uh, actually did you ever see Steven Spielberg's Tin Tin? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's one of the best late era Spielberg let's recapture the magic. Yeah, that kind was of good. Movies. That's good. And his BFG was pretty good too. I have never seen the BFG actually. It's pretty good. But Tin Tin is all kind of it's I mean it's a literal cartoon. It has cartoon yeah. logic in it. And that's fine. And it allows Spielberg to do a lot of gimmicks and ideas and stuff. It also allows him to bring all the action without having to engage in any literal violence. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I know we're just kind of talking about all kinds of things. We haven't even properly gotten to this podcast. I don't know if we've even introduced us, but I I think it's worth noting. I'm Jake. That's Nathan. He's your humble and obedient host. Yep. Here we go. He's your pastor who's a master of uh, Indiana Jones talking. I think it's really worth noting that I think Spielberg's attitude towards violence changes after schindler's list and uh, saving private ryan which are kind of a one-two punch Mm -hmm. Uh, i read somewhere when i was reading about all the rejected drafts at a certain point they had one that involved i think you and i actually said why didn't they do this on our last episode uh it involved like nazis that had escaped to argentina or something like that so like they they didn't want to do russians and so they were going to do nazis again yeah let's go to argentina you know which did it on the bill (laughs) was that I said we did it on the bill. Did we do it on the bill? 
Oh, yeah, we did do it on the bill. That's right. You remember? <laughs> our most beloved episode ever. Uh, it was our Indiana Jones episode. Our Indiana Jones episode. But surprise, Indiana Jones was a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, deep. And uh, yeah, go, I don't know. Go listen to that one, folks. And we'll be tell you what, what it is. If you don't know, no. Just listen to the whole bill and you'll get there eventually. Directed by Ryan Johnson himself. Directed by Ryan Johnson himself. Yeah. But you didn't know that Ryan Johnson worked on the bill. Yeah. He might as well have. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that meant. I don't know who that was insulting. Probably us. <laughs> I stand by that episode. Uh, I do too. People were uh, of two camps uh, about that episode. They um, just weren't ready, man. They just weren't ready. Yeah, maybe one day they will be. Yeah, some um, people were ready. You guys got it. Yeah. But I think Spielberg, he really enjoys violence in the era of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom. Those are very gleefully violent movies. And it's all about let's chop off up the bad guys in as many creative ways as possible. And let's make it pretty grisly, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked at length about how those movies are grislier than people rem- tend to remember. And then you see him start to kind of become a family man and get uneasy with it around the time of Last Crusade. That movie's a lot gentler than the old ones. Yep. But then I think he does Schindler's List, and he actually has to spend a year or two years or however long it was reckoning with, oh, this is what the Holocaust was actually like, and this is what it did to my people, and these who the... the these are who the Nazis were. They aren't just cartoon characters from... Yeah, we're not going to play a cartoon game here. We're doing this realistically. and Right. And this is soul-deadening and horrible and horrific. And then he immerses himself in Schindler's List and like, this is what... Or not Schindler's List, the uh, Saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. And yeah. again, it's like, this is... I'm going to figure out viscerally what was it like to... Mm-hmm. I'm going D- to try to portray it. Right. I, I want to put you in the D-Day invasion and make you understand exactly in a visceral way how horrific it was. And I think of all the war movies before and after, that one is... Say what you will about the rest of the movie, but that sequence is probably the most successful sequence ever done of just a sustained... The terror and the horror of modern warfare, kind of. I mean... Yeah. I don't know what else. There's there's things like Apocalypse Now that sort of get at it in big symbolic abstractions and stuff. But mm-hmm. to, and people have tried to do similar things. Christopher Nolan tried his hand at it. Everybody's yeah tried their hand at it. But I mean, nobody had done anything like that like that before Spielberg. Yeah, and, and it's it's still the benchmark. It's effective. Yeah, yeah. So here's a guy that has schooled himself on how to on how much violence actually hurts and what it looks like and what it feels like. I think I feel squeamish, right? Yeah. I think he just feels squeamish and I don't know that I want to resent him for that. I I think it's just true. Like it's just not as much fun to contemplate what it might be like to stab or punch somebody or something like that after he's actually gone through those things and just getting older. And you see with things like even his popular entertainments after that, like minority report, like war of the worlds, they can be pretty grisly, but it's always kind of dark and grimy and, there's nothing particularly fun about... I mean, the chase scenes are fun in Minority Report, but it's a very serious movie that takes the violence seriously, and it's scary and big, and we're not on a fun Indiana Jones adventure with all this stuff. We're on a... Which you can argue is real maturity or a real maturation point, and not just a... We don't want to glorify violence, right? No, that's exactly right. I think there is something that's cynical and gleeful about the violence and not just temple of doom but raiders of the lost ark and it does make that movie less than it could be and it's in many ways a perfect movie but we don't need indiana jones angrily hitting the gas so that he can run over that last nazi we don't need all the blood in that mm-hmm. that bar room scene you know or the propeller yeah or the propeller and there's a certain comedy to melting and blowing up all the nazis that right 
could have had a little more gravity. It could could have had more gravity to it. Yeah, there's just. I mean, it is just gleeful. I think the power of God scene is the scene where I feel most like it's just. It sort of makes sense that it would be gleeful because we are melting the Nazis for looking into yeah. the things of God. I mean, if 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 you've ever had an excuse to just melt some heads, I guess that's it. But but yes, there's a cynical and grisly element to it, and that's mm-hmm. only done more so in in Temple of Doom, as we've talked about yep. a lot. But some of what makes this movie not work. I mean, I don't know. How do we talk about this? Because I don't want to. I'm glad Spielberg matured. I'm glad he started to take violence more seriously. On the other hand, this movie is so lacking in any kind of visceral feeling of joy, of joy in the action. Yeah. You know, none of the action, whether it's the, even the motorcycle chase or whatever, none of the action actually feels fun or inspired. Yeah. The motorcycle chase has its moments, but yeah, it's, the- it just doesn't feel like. Even the places where Last Crusade was doing retreads of the action of Raiders, mm-hmm. the movie had its own life and verve and yeah. joy, it, it, reason for being, other than we all finally agreed and came to terms on another Indiana Jones movie. Right. But the, everything feels tired. Yeah. And well, and it's, you know, it's, 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 it, it actually, it points to, maturity in Spielberg but it also points to a certain kind of ongoing maturity that or immaturity insofar as once you once you take away his desire to violently dispatch the villains you take away why his Why can't he tell the story why can't he tell a story that's fun Yeah the the challenge then is okay violence is not really a tool that I feel like using in terms of blood and guts but I still have to create a propulsively exciting action thrill ride so how do I do that and then you have you have a lot of tools still to work with. You've got vehicular mayhem. You've got suspense. You've got Indiana Jones dangling over high heights. I mean, you've got all yeah. kinds of things that don't actually involve shooting or maiming or stabbing. Or, or blowing people's heads up. Or blowing people's heads off, which he obviously wasn't interested in doing. But then it's like once he didn't have that, that he almost wasn't interested in doing it anymore at all. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I... Errol Flynn used to have sword fights that weren't that grisly, but they were still exciting. Like, yeah, you can do tension and drama without the blood and guts. Well, and even like, okay, Mad Max Fury Road, pretty violent, gory movie, but uh, not all of the action is coming from we like to see people killed. A lot of it's coming from like, it's fun to see motorcycles jump high into the air. It's fun to see vehicles smash up. Weaving and, and smashing and creative looking vehicles and inventive, like, I don't even think I saw that movie once and I don't think of it as a as a a gory or bloody movie. I don't have the memory what stands in my mind as it, of it as a great action movie isn't I just don't have the memory of the blood and the gore. I just have the memory of the thrill and the suspense of mm-hmm. the chases and the stuff like it's just that it's the art of maintaining tension over long periods of time. Right. Like that's what's cool. Like and then that's what George Lucas is traditionally a master of doing in a very clean, kid-friendly, not violent at all way. I mean, whether it's, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi, we're weaving through a forest on these really fast speeder bikes and we just don't want to wipe out by hitting a tree. And Or it's a pod racer. Yeah, the pod race is, and maybe slightly in this day and age, undersung sequence, but what what a perfect action sequence. And it's just based on a race and there's some violent intrigue and some people get blown up, but none of it's offensive or glorying and yeah, anything that's nasty. It's just 
the excitement of how's this little kid who has the force going to use it to win win those are some random preliminary thoughts to this episode now we have to talk through the rest of the movie because we only actually talked through the first scene (laughs) we only got through nuke the fridge (laughs) oh so we have to see oh, see what else we have to say. We have to relive the rest of that movie. We have to relive the rest of this movie. <laughs> shoot me. Real quick. And then I want to talk a little bit about- If I wave a sword around, will you shoot me and put me out of my misery? Yep, Jake, because I am all about the violent dispatch of my enemies in the most callous and humorous way that, I, that it can possibly be done. So I want to talk about that. And then we need to talk about where this fits in the anti-hero's journey, which we will do. Last time, Jake, you'll remember we actually came up with, I think you came up with, a better way to end this nuke the fridge sequence. Which is the bomb is a dud. The bomb's a dud and or the bomb lands, doesn't go off, Indiana Jones gets away. The bomb, yeah, the bomb lands on the Nazis maybe. Right, yeah, exactly. Or lands in front of them and maybe creates a hole or some comic scenario where the Nazis get, ta- or the communists get taken out by it, mm-hmm. but Indiana Jones doesn't, maybe throws a final punch to somebody who's stupefied and mm-hmm. takes their truck and gets away. And then suddenly the bomb goes off. Yeah. And then we, it's, you know, Chekhov's nuclear bomb. It needs to go off. And, yeah. and we need that iconic shot, which I do like from this movie of Indiana Jones in his hat and jacket standing in front of the, the mushroom cloud. The mushroom cloud. Well, it helps so much give the atmosphere that you want if you're going to do a saucer men movie. Yeah. So, you know, take us back, man, learn some lessons from the iron giant. When you do, but yeah, take us back. There's so much that this movie could have done with 1950s nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, we we all have this built-in. It's what Back to the Future trades on in spade, spades. I mean, we all love to make fun of that culture and kind of enjoy living in that culture. I mean, yeah, like I mean, and, and I know Lucas. I mean, he made American Graffiti, which I've never seen, but it is like the benchmark for the let's do greasers and diners and hot yeah. rods kind of movie. And this movie only pays lip service to that a couple times and it's like really early on out of the gate and then it's basically over I yeah mean, and then when you the scene with the motorcycle chase and everything happens on the college campus and so you have yeah well and you got mutt and the greaser fight and whatever in the background extras you're gonna see like a lot of girls in sweaters and sweaters and long skirts and, yeah and all that stuff which is which is fine but there's not enough of it yeah i mean once that's over then we're just back in the jungle yeah i mean let's do something with the 1950s let's let's do if we, if we have to have Marion in this movie, let's do Marion, the bored 1950s housewife who initially rejects the call to adventure or or something like that. I mean, I don't know that that's a good idea, but let's somehow use the milieu. Right. Let's, yeah. And let's, we're going to use communists. Well, let's play with some Sputnik and some, let's, let's draw on uh, Red Dawn and some mm-hmm. other fun, have it be in the United States for goodness sake. And if, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're bring the Russians. And if we're gonna have Indiana Jones' son character be a greaser, which actually I don't think is that bad of an idea, let's do it for more than just some mannerisms and kind of dressing cosplay. I mean, it's really like, there's nothing intrinsically greaser about that character. He just dresses like Marlon Brando from The Wild Ones. It's like let's have it be part of his character that he's into motorcycle culture or that he's yeah. on a college campus or just out of high school. Let, has a well, girlfriend let's give him something skirt, that know? actually is distinctive and goes as feels as iconic as the fedora and the whip. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they sort of half heartedly tried with his knife and his, that he's always twirling. Yeah. But it, his hair that he's always coming. Like, yeah, but uh, it is so lame. 
Well, okay, so next in the movie, we have this wonderful scene where, and I'm being sarcastic, folks, in case you were wondering, where these two agents interview Indiana Jones and they're suspicious of him. Yeah. And we learn, that he, we learn about his war record. We learn how he's like this decorated hero, which I'm not even sure how I feel about that. I don't know. How do you feel about, I mean, the Indiana Jones of Last Crusade, I guess, had kind of become that kind of all-American, he's going to be at every famous thing hero. Just in the way they portrayed his boyhood and some of the stuff that they did to make him more overtly heroic. But I don't know that the scrappy Indiana Jones of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom is actually someone who cares all that much about being a Humphrey Bogart at the end of Casablanca kind of agent who's on the lines of everything that's happening in World War II. And I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. But I guess the big question is, what was the point of that scene again? Politics. What politics, though? I mean, who cares? The Red Scare was bad. It implicated even people that were heroes like Indiana Jones. Yeah, but apparently this movie, I guess we talked about this last time, but Kate Blanchett and her motley crew invaded Area 51, killed everybody, and stole our most top secret resources. The, yep. the communists in this movie really are that bad, Yep, actually. You can't tell us, you can't have a bunch of characters bemoaning the Red Scare and then turn around and tell us we should be scared of the Reds. Yeah. It was just stupid, confusing messaging. Yeah. I guess that's why Argentinian Nazis was actually probably a pretty good idea because yeah. we can all just hate the Argentinian We can Nazis. all just hate the Argentinian. And we can, we can have the Nazis, I hate these guys line. And I mean. Or if you want to make the movie that's like cynical about or entering into the discussion about what was happening then, make the American espionage guys the bad guys, actually. Like, they really want to seize the power so that they can win, but they're well doing it, you know, so they can win the well, Cold War. Well, they gave War, us the corrupt espionage guy. But then he just doesn't do anything. Like, yep. like what if those guys were actually the bad guys? Mm -hmm. If you want to do reversal, actually make it explicit that Kate Blanchett is actually pretty noble, and it's the corrupt American... Uh, military industrial you, complex but you can't get away with that at least then you still have to make the communists the bad guys yeah I guess so but if you can't if you can only be half hearted about them being the bad guys then okay well no need to belabor that point although the very next scene makes that point again with he, Jim Broadbent comes and they go into the office and yeah, it's not like it used to be he had to resign and yeah he says I barely recognize this country anymore yeah uh, I'm sorry your country's falling apart but What's her name? Arena Spalco is invading. Like, <laughs> yeah. it needs to be. We need to be marshalling our forces. <laughs> She's trying to get those crystal skulls. <laughs> the Reds are all over the place, man. <laughs> They've literally invaded the United States. Their head agent They've invaded has, has mind control powers. <laughs> <laughs> they really are that bad. <laughs> uh, so we have this long section where Indiana Jones is kind of sad and pensive and... Do you agree with me that it feels like actually Spielberg's heart is in that movie? Like he would like to make the sad, pensive Indiana Jones his old movie, if any, if it's in anything. And yeah, I mean, I think if Indiana, I think if Spielberg wants to make any Indiana Jones movie, it's the "Why did you drag me out? Mm -hmm. I'm old, tired, and why did you drag me out into another adventure movie?" But then, as boring as it, a scene as it is, and as many times as we've seen it. There's a thing in the Joseph Campbell monomyth that happens in every one of these movies, and it needed to act as, as much as I'm bored by it, it needs to happen here, which is it's called reject the call. Yeah, somebody comes and they call you to adventure. Obi Wan says, "Luke, you need to go to Dagobah with me, and you'll need to learn the ways of the Force." And he says, "I can't go to Dagobah." 
I need to stay with my aunt and uncle. And then suddenly everything gets scorched and there's no turning back and he's thrown into the adventure. But yep. we need that scene where Luke Skywalker doesn't want to do it. Yeah, he's suddenly faced with stepping outside of his door and he's got cold feet. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's weird because a lot of movies, I think I might be saying, oh man, Jake, did we, I mean, how many times have you heard me make these kinds of complaints? Oh man, did we really need to see the scene where the guy that we knew was going on the adventure rejected the call again? Like, But it does work. Yeah, it. it's, the best it, argument against me is try doing it, the movie without it. Exactly. And suddenly you actually don't have much of a story. Yeah, no. I, if Indiana Jones is just a stand-in for Spielberg who spent the last 10 years, right, 15 years, not wanting to make another Indiana Jones movie, then just tell that story. Right. Indiana Jones, for the past 15 years, hasn't wanted to go on another adventure. Like He actually went on the adventure with his dad. It was great. He found the Holy Grail, which I think, as you pointed out on our podcast, the Holy Grail is the Holy Grail. Of, of holy grails, of holy grails. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else am I supposed to do? He found the holy grail, and he found the true. He found holy what he'd grail, really been searching for all along. His which dad. Was the relationship with the father. Time to hang up the hat. Time to hang up the whip. Yeah, and then, okay, dad's gone, and dad, the hat and the whip are hung up. Or if you wanted to, you could say, I mean, dump a truckload of cash on Sean Connery's door and say, actually. It, Everything wasn't great after that. Yeah, no, I I think Sean Connery's still alive. Uh, by many accounts, he's maybe not quite as adroit mentally these days, but I don't know. He's, it seems like he's probably, at that time at least, 12 he years ago. He would have been fine. He would have been fine to come in and do something. Maybe, maybe you have to work with him a little bit to get what you want, but... Put him in a home. Put him in the nursing home. Let him be a senile old man who doesn't recognize Indy anymore. Right. And Harrison Ford, as the Indy character, is facing the fact that I hung up my reason for existence. And actually, this is this is my future. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to, this is it. Like, And then let's have a compelling enough reason for him to have to get back out and do it again. Well, and then let's that- have his, let's have dad die mm-hmm. on screen. Let's have dad be the one that has the moment of lucidity that says, Junior, Indiana, mm-hmm. just because I'm dying doesn't mean that you have to be dead. So but we could even use him as the the call to adventure when, somehow, like they did in um, Spectre. They had Judy Dench film a little cameo where right. James Bond has like a video cassette or something. And it's like, oh, by the way, James Bond, I'm dead now. But if you could just solve this whole other problem for me, please. Right. You know, you could actually have not very lucid in a home Sean Connery say, oh, by the way, Indiana, you really need to solve the mystery of your mother by finding the... Exactly. The crystal... Right. And why not? And suddenly Indiana Jones has a personal stake in this. Yeah. What if... What if... Okay, we're going to make the Saucerman movie, right? Okay. Indiana, there's something I need to tell you. Your mom didn't die. She was abducted. By aliens, by space aliens. And Indy thinks, poor dad. And somebody for, get man. to give him his medicine. Kinda. Yeah. And then he finds a thing. And mm-hmm. then he sees a clue. And then, oh my goodness. Wouldn't that have been an awesome movie? That would have been an awesome movie. That and then have been if, cool. If you want to have him like, I hung up my hat. I don't have a reason to live. And I actually burned all my relationships in the while being a great adventurer. And so now my dad's dead. Then if you want to bring Karen Allen into it and have him reconnect with Marion, there's actually a reason. There's a payoff. It's like, 
Yeah. This is what well, this is the reward at the end of Indiana Jones reconnecting with who he should be is he's going to find the family that he thought he didn't have or something like that. Thought he couldn't have. Thought he couldn't have. Thought it was yeah. But he's going to find it because he's going to have the courage to overcome a thing. Right. <laughs> as opposed to what they do, which is just Well, and and if you and if you do something like make it about his mom, well, you can also then make it about healing his relationship with women like you can you can explore the psyche of a man who's run through a bunch of women in his life Mm -hmm. who also grew up without a mom like and views women cheaply yeah if you're gonna do that that gives you a great excuse to do a three-minute kate capshaw i'm so annoyed with you yeah we we run into each other in a bar in tibet like you can justify uh bringing the chick from last crusade back in some kind of dream encounter or something like that yeah let's get all three of them let's make it about indiana jones he's processing the fact that he's been he's been a bad serial womanizer he's been trying to fill up his mother hunger as much as he was out adventuring trying to fill up his father hunger Mm -hmm. like and now he needs to be complete like, and maybe people out there are thinking, you want an Indiana Jones movie about that? Of course we do. That's what you could describe Last Crusade in the same terms. That's, Steven Spielberg needs to be excited about this, to have some kind of a theme exactly. that he's actually locked into. That's about more than just, let's find the object. Let's find the object. Really it's, only worked, worked once. It worked for Raiders. Temple of Doom, not really. And, yeah. and, and then Last Crusade, no. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about that. Dad was the Holy Grail. Yeah, the object was a red herring. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry that you are slow in mm-hmm. understanding what the movie's about, but dad was the holy grail. Right. And so, and that's the level that Spielberg needs to be able to process an Indiana Jones film on to be excited about it. So, okay, it doesn't have to be mom, but mom's a great idea, all things considered. Probably one that Spielberg it, would lock into, I would think. I think he could lock into it and say, I didn't, I've never actually told that. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never actually done that. Like, and actually, that makes sense of my younger self, too. And I can process that, and I can process my relationship with my ex-wives and my kids. Also, the fact that I don't really want to go on another adventure, and I'm too old for this crap. Like, all of that can be in the mix. And then maybe we'll get an actual good Indiana Jones movie that's mm-hmm. worth watching more than once. Yeah. You know? That's worth watching once. Exactly. Actually. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, and you just compare, you think about everything that we've seen in this movie up to the point that we're discussing through the Jim Broadbent, it's not like it used to be seen. And then you compare that to the wit and charm and everything that's been, was packed into Raiders of the Lost Ark up to that point, the number of jokes and gags and great action moments and everything. Yeah. Well, that is the other stupid thing about this is like... How lazy is it to create three characters and tell us that we're supposed to care about their relationship to Indiana Jones? You've got the Jim Broadbent character, you've got the spy character, and you've got the crazy archaeologist character. Yeah. And they're all stand-ins for characters in other movies. The crazy archaeologist guy, John Hurt, is obviously Abner Ravenwood, you know, like the, right. the Marion Dad character. Exactly. And again, Abner is... Uh, I was I was just thinking this before you made that same connection, I was thinking, why not have it be, ab- you know, if we don't want mom to be the one abducted, to have been abducted by aliens, and you want to bring Karen Allen back into it, and, pro- you know, whatever, and make it matter, let's have it be, actually, Abner didn't die. Abner yeah. was abducted by aliens. Whatever. We want a space movie. Let's do the 
space alien movie, Saucerman movie, give us an excuse to deal with mommy and daddy issues again Mm -hmm. in a way that will matter to somebody somehow, some way. Yeah, at least that's connected with something that we all remember from these movies we've seen dozens of times. Yeah, and then we can... And then do whatever, put up with whatever pain. Then I don't feel like there's stakes. Yeah. That matter to us, the, the viewer, who's coming back to a character we have nostalgia for. And then if you want to build a family for him, get short round. You can exactly. either, either hire back. the kid or if you don't like him as an adult, recast, get some diversity points, hire an Asian actor. Yeah. Do whatever you need to to get stupid Gimli off of his couch and come do your movie, uh, John Reese davies Yep. And then you have a family that we actually Well, look, if you're doing about. a Saucerman movie, it's so easy to go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like- just do the stupid history channel, you know, or Nicolas Cage, whatever. The pyramids were built by aliens. Mm. Let's have the pyramids be the spaceship, you know, let's whatever, Stargate or whatever. I don't know. Like, there's enough lore about that sort of thing or fear or whatever. And like, you know, uh, hieroglyphics with the heads and the stuff and the, mm-hmm. like, plenty of excuses to bring Sulla back. Like, you can, I just don't understand. Well, the other thing like I read... It just takes, like, I've not put any creative energy. You haven't put any creative... Maybe you have, but I've not before just no, talking no, about it just, now yeah. into any of this stuff. It's just like, we're spitballing live on air. None of Neither of us have ever thought about how we would do this movie because we just saw it and we're disgusted by it. Our, our, any of this would be, it sounds way more exciting. Like, Well, the other thing that I read that was interesting, which I do have some sympathy for, is after Last Crusade which was 89, Lucas said, I know we all said we were going to hang up the hat and the wit, wit, but I really want to make another one. And he started actually fast-tracking Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men. And it was really getting actually some traction, is my understanding, in the 90s. And then a little movie came along called Independence Day in 96. And Spielberg just said, George, I can't compete with that. These guys did it. Like, they they made the 1950s Saucer Men movie. Today. For today. And they made it, we can't top they blew that. Our, they blew everybody's mind. Like right, you know. like, and and they and they found the guy who had the same sauce that Harrison Ford had, and you can't even put Harrison Ford up against Will Smith right now. Like he's just gonna look like a cheap Will Smith, or like he doesn't have it. Like I can completely see. I mean, Independence Day was a was its own blockbuster game changer in that same. Yeah, I mean, same, I haven't watched. It. I loved Independence Day when I was a kid. I haven't watched it within the last 10 20 years but yeah who, that movie who was, cares if it holds up but it was iconic at the time and it felt big and it felt like a game changer and it was i'm gonna say, i'm gonna i'm gonna say it yeah tim buck says it it holds up as being a worthy movie in the same vein as any fun spielberg blockbuster popcorn movie i think that's probably true i think it probably has a lot more cringe than spielberg at its best and sure just like dumb things but Will Smith in his prime, Goldblum in his prime. Some other fun side characters. Yeah, Randy Quaid in his prime. uh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Randy Quaid was awesome in that movie, and and so was Harvey Fierstein. Yeah, Harvey Fierstein. And forget my lawyer. (laughs) Um, And 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 then you know, who could give us a more brilliant president speech than uh, Uh, Bill Pullman? Bill Pullman. Yeah. Yeah. So, So for some reason. When I want to pull Bill Pullman, mm-hmm. I try. My mind tries to pull Jeff Daniels, and when I want to pull Jeff Daniels, my mind pulls Bill Pullman. Mm-hmm. And 
Jeff Daniels is what I kept, but I knew that was wrong. More like Jeff not Pullman, at least as far as Jake's concerned. <laughs> what a great pull, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. No, sorry. Okay, so I guess if we're just... Yeah, well, anyway, I, I guess we're both saying, if you're Spielberg and you have the makings of a pretty good Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men movie and then Independence Day hits, I can sympathize with... Being like having the your heart taken out of it. Yeah. yeah, it's like you've already done the ultimate saucer movie with Close Encounters, the ultimate benevolent saucer movie, and then somebody with, else comes along and does the ultimate malevolent saucer movie. Yeah. And it's just like there's not a lot of room left to play here. I mean, what are you going to do that Independence Day didn't already do? Use E.T. aliens. Yeah. Use use uh, use use some aliens from uh, from Star Wars. Inter- weave and interlock those worlds just a little bit. Yeah, I I wish that I I, I wish had R two D two and C three PO in the hieroglyphics and yeah. Well, I I wish they would have just done it actually because I think the world's big enough for two saucer men movies and or yeah. as many as you want to make. I love I love big splashy alien invasion movies and I liked Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds as derivative and Spielberg's no longer really in his lane as that was and any movie with invasions from outer space i'm i'm there for and indiana jones versus invaders for from outer space i'd definitely be there for i mean you just put indiana jones in the plot of independence day and i'm I'm there for that yeah well they did cowboys and aliens or whatever yeah which i guess i wasn't there for that I I i've never seen that, that movie. <laughs> i wanted to be there for that i just heard it was bad and so i never tried but yeah I, I was excited about the concept of it yeah yep i was excited that they had craig and ford yep uh, okay. Imagine that you and I being in the same place on something like that. Yep, that's weird. Uh, speaking of weird, we now have after like what feels like forty minutes of the movie of Indiana Jones in this extended opening sequence, and then he's just like sad because he's fired and we're on permanent sabbatical. All the things we really pay for when we go to an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, trade federation politics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, then we have the introduction of our good friend Shai LaBeouf or LaBeouf or however you, uh, one pronounces his name. Mm-hmm. He comes out of the mist in that train station. He's dressed up in the exact outfit of Marlon Brando from the famous motorcycle rebel movie from the 50s, The Wild Ones. It's really stupid. It's stupid. It's really stupid. Yeah. I mean, there's only two kinds of people that are sitting in that theater. There's people that actually, there's more that's stupid than just the Wild Ones outfit. But let me concentrate on that there's people that actually have seen that poster or remember that movie and they're just like uh why is this guy cosplaying as brando Mm -hmm. and then there's people who have never seen it and like what's this yeah it means nothing to them it's not established why is this why is shia labeouf wearing a weird outfit and what is this supposed to tell me about him why does he have that dorky hat and why is this played as a pretentious moment it means it i feel like it's supposed to hit with some some note Mm-hmm. It's not hitting any notes for me. So it's exactly the same problem with we're going to show you the arc. So, like, oh, there's the arc. I sure do recognize that. I yeah. guess it means something to me. Or there's the arc. I don't recognize that. And I don't care. Those are the kind of, it's giving the, we always say give them two and two and let them make four. It's just saying two plus two equals four. And either you care about four or you don't. But it's like if you care about four, then they've just told you the most obvious thing ever. And if you don't care about four, then you just don't care about four. Like, if you can do something that evokes Marlon Brando and the Wild Ones, I mean, then well, that, that's paying people that know the Wild Ones a compliment. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like, I think I probably, when I saw Crystal Skull in theaters, I probably, when we opened Area 51 with that shot and we had the arc music playing, mm-hmm. 
I probably was a little geeked by that. I think that was the cool moment. You have to leave it at that. Evoke the feeling, evoke the thought, evoke the thing. Don't just do the thing. Don't just do it. You can do the thing when there's a great big wink. Mm -hmm. Burn the Nazi symbol out of the crate that's carrying the ark. Or if you're going to do, if you you have to have it, then you better just do something with it, I think. Like, yeah. Let's blow the crate open in the process. Some of the communists are chasing Indiana Jones out of the place. And then like the door shuts. We see some communists gather around like, what is this thing? And then all of a sudden, you know, Indiana Jones is running. Other communists are running. Things are happening in the oh, yeah, in great. the warehouse that you can't see. Like fun. it's just an illusion. Like we know what happened to them. To be clear, that's still the wrong decision. The best decision is don't show the dark. right. But but if you're gonna show it, <laughs> make it fun. Make it fun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Shia LaBeouf shows up. He gets Indiana Jones' attention on a train. He wants to tell Indiana Jones that Oxley, this character we've never heard of, found a skull, Diet, and we hear about deity carvings and Akator and mystical lost cities and enough little geeking out from Harrison Ford to feel like, oh, yep, he's still the geeky professor and enough little staged banter that, I mean, you already know. Yeah, is there anybody that wasn't like, oh, there's Indiana Jones Jr.? Yep. Oh, and he's saying, don't go to school. Well, that's going to come back later. Mm. Like, Yeah, so there's that problem. I mean, I think you were a little bit hard on LaBeouf in our last episode, I think. I don't. I think he's fine. I mean, I, th- I think you could write a character for him that would be fine. It would need to probably be a wimpy character that manned up in Act 3 or something like that, but... You could make him work. I don't actually think he's a I, I bad don't, actor. I don't think that he, I don't think he's a bad actor, but I think the character is bad. Yeah, the, the, and I don't think if you're going to play him as an uh, a if the character you want to write for this story is somebody who feels like they can fall in the line of Indiana Jones, then he's got to feel like a millennial Harrison Ford. Yeah. And LaBeouf doesn't feel like that. He feels like some other kind of millennial, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but he doesn't feel like a millennial Harrison Ford. And so you're going to have to cast somebody that is a little more square jawed. He can be more insecure than Harrison Ford, but he's got to be able to take a punch and give a punch and feel like a man. Now, if you want to write the character that's, that's the more wimpy version mm-hmm. and have that be a contrast and still have him be... Indy's son, that's fine. You can cast LaBeouf for that. There has to be some interesting contrast. Like, I don't know. I mean, when you were talking, I was just thinking, what if one of those preppy guys in the background has been, were Indiana Jones' son? That might be something. That'd be interesting. Like a guy in a a preppy jacket who's just like a nerd and, you know, has a a girlfriend in a poodle skirt and everything. Like, give Indy, make, let's have some kind of actual culture crash one way or another. They just don't really have an angle on, again, I mean, we're just repeating ourselves, but yeah, they don't have an angle on this material. Yeah. Who is this guy? The only real angle they have is Indiana Jones is going to be indulgent and tell him the real things that Indiana Jones believes. And then once he finds out he's his son, he's going to say like, the opposite thing. You need to go back to school and you need to not, you know, just be a jerk. No, I'm going to be a terrible father suddenly. Right. Now that I feel- It's actually a good one. Which- I think that's a funny joke. It's not funny it's a, the way the movie does it, but it's a good conceit. Once he feels like he has to try to be a father, he's a worse father than when he's just being himself. I actually exactly. I enjoy that's that a, that, conceit. That is a good joke. But they didn't really do anything with it. Well, and it's not just a good joke. It is a true-to-life right. joke. Like, 
Nah, it's gonna... getting at a truth that's real. Like it is much easier to just be accept someone who's not your son for who they are and give them good advice, fatherly advice about who they are and where they're going in life than a son that you can't help but have ambitions for mm-hmm. that blind you to maybe who God made them to be. Like that's a struggle every father deals with with different kids. Like that's a real thing. Yeah. And so maybe your son was born, born to be the world's greatest mechanic, but I'd really like him to go to college. Any other yeah. guy you meet, you just say, "Oh yeah, you, hey, you, 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 there's nothing wrong with a being mechanic. A, a mechanic. You'd be a great one. And this is family. a great way for you to. But yeah, but well, that's outside of my expertise, experience, and I want you to be like me. And I'm a college professor, and so good idea. One of one of the good ideas in the movie, but it's not really given to space to breathe, or they don't mind any emotion from it. They don't mind that many laughs from it. It's just kind of cute mm-hmm. and there. I, okay, so we talked a little bit about that. We need to talk about the actual mythology at the heart of this film. Which is I, there mythology at the heart of this film? Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's not really there, is it? Like, no. They don't... No. I'm still unclear on what was even really at stake. Like, I, I guess if... if What's her face? If Kate Blanchett gets the skull, she's going to be able to rule the world with mind control or something like that. But I don't know how. I don't know... Why? I don't know. Well, and obviously that wasn't really the case. If the Nazis get the Ark, we have a picture in a textbook that Indiana Jones shows us of a ray, like a laser ray coming out of the Ark and decimating an army. It's like yeah. these Nazis are going to carry this thing into battle and they are going to win World War. They don't actually say that sentence, but it's that's, clear. That's the that's the clear threat. And we all have some basic understanding or most of the audience has some basic understanding that when they carried the Ark into battle... They did win. Right. A little less clear in Temple of Doom, but at least we know whoever has these stones is going to be able to- the time when they didn't, but you know. Well, yeah, they're, and they're when there. the bad guys had it, it knocked over their statue and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But intuitively, on an emotional storytelling level, we understand in Raiders of the Lost Ark, whoever gets the Ark wins everything. Temple of Doom, a little less clear. We talked in our, that episode how it's not clear, but at least we kind of know whoever has these stones gets to be in control. And Well, and also we got sucked into this thing now and we're going to be trapped here in George Lucas's id forever unless we can fight our way out of it. Right. And we might as and look at all these slave children too like let's fight our way out of George Lucas's id and free the children while we're at it like there is a, there are stakes that you feel are real and are introduced. Right. Not it's a little bit muddled but it's there. And then Temple of or uh, Last Crusade obviously whoever has the cup yep has eternal life basically rules the world invincible uh i don't know what was at stake at this movie i don't really know what akator is or why it's important i know that there was an amazon tribe that did something i mean it's been a they worship the aliens it's been a few weeks since i've watched this movie i don't remember like who was who or like none of the mythology has really stuck with me and well here's a question do you think there's a a good crystal skull to be made or do you think they just picked bum mythology I think that there, I think there is a good, I don't know that it's Crystal Skull, but there's a good Saucerman movie to be made with the real mythology that resonates like. Well, they obviously wanted to do the ancient aliens kind of thing. Yeah. So they could get some jungle adventure in there. Yeah. But. We need a history lesson on. Yeah. There needs to be a very. What it is and why it matters. And it needs some specificity to it. Something that you can put your hand and it needs to have something that it resonates with. Like. 
it's where Marvel movies, it's really obvious the way that they do it. And Let's it's, spend time talking about Soviet experiments and mind control. Right. Let's spend time talking about all of the avenues and ways that they want to control the... Let's use it as an analogy or a metaphor for media and entertainment and whatever else we want to do. Like, And I know that, okay, obviously they're uncomfortable with that. Why? Because it's true. But... You know, let's just do the thing. Let's do the. You're gonna make the movie. You have to. You have to do the thing. Well, like, Spielberg talk about did, subliminal uh, messaging and talk about stuff like that, and then talk about how there was a legend and there was a thing and like a whole city of people. Like, make them have have done something crazy. Like, they would all come under the power of this thing, and then they would all dance in rhythm and throw themselves over a cliff like lemurs or I don't know what. Like, yeah, just just make it clear. And if you can have a picture in a textbook or. Something that just, yeah, I mean, like what, what puts a the, button on it. The the Marvel movies, it's always going to be like, I will now tell you the story of this particular, what are they called, Infinity Stone, and then we'll yeah. go into the same boring scene of some planet being decimated as people scream as yeah. the villain of the week has possession of the stone. But at least it makes it clear, like this is what the thing does. It, it enables you to kill the people, right? It's like it gives you power. I really needed like that scene, that story of the tribe that disappeared and how it had been woven into their legend or something like that, you know, pyramids all across the world, you know, well, and let's globe trot a little bit. Let's, you can even just globe trot to India or mm-hmm. not India, Egypt, say hi to Sulla, make a camel joke, see R2D2 and C3PO on a pyramid and say, Oh, well that's not right. And then get on a plane and go to South America or, Mexico or wherever it is you want to go, where you're going to find the different pyramids that have the different. But then Spielberg would maybe have to film connected to the pyramids. America, just do pyramids. Yeah, pyramids are cool. Indiana Jones. The fact that we've never seen Indiana Jones stand on the pyramids at Giza is a a, a crime. Like he he needs to at least stand in front of those. Yeah, it's archaeologists, man. Play into play some pharaoh things and some. Things that just like resonate, like let's talk about King Tut and you know where did the wealth come from? Where did the pyramids come from? And where did and why do they line up the way that they do? And why is all let's do all the dumb History Channel conspiracy theories about mm-hmm. ancient aliens? Everybody at that point in time who's seeing this movie has seen some of that stuff late at night, mm-hmm. flipping through the channels, like and stopped because they found it interesting. Yeah, even though they knew it was stupid, like playing to play with that stuff. There's a whole rich sandbox that, like, the reason the History Channel can still do that stuff is because there's enough rich lore about that in interest in lost civilization. You can just, it's silly. It's silly. You take that and you put Sputnik and some uh, Soviet Union mind control experiments together. Mm-hmm. Like, you really can make this thing work. But they just didn't want to put in the elbow grease or what? Like, yeah. Well, and they didn't want to pick on our good friends in Russia <laughs> too much. I mean, I, I love Soviet era, like old James Bond movies and stuff. The, the, the cold war iconography and cold war kind of pulp conceits are so much fun. Yeah. Russian mind control agents. Awesome. I'm there for it. So do it, do it in a way that's wholehearted and full throated or don't do it. And let's go with Argentinian Nazis. And it, I think that there's other, there's there's ways to split the difference besides actually splitting the difference. We don't need to make Kate Blanchett kind of not feel that bad. Let's make her the most evil Natasha and Boris villain possible. 
And then if you need to have like some sympathetic Russian kid show up for a scene or two just to show us that there were good Not Soviets all Russians too. are bad. Fi- Whatever, great. Fine. We'll, we'll pay that price. But don't make us pay the price of not having villains that we can actually be scared of. Yep. And enjoy when they get their comeuppance. Yeah. I mean, I actually really like the idea of the espionage guys turning out to work for Russia or, I mean, actually the idea of his friend working for Russia is good, but they just throw it away. Like, yeah. what is the point of this stupid, what's that guy's name? Mac? Why is he in the movie? What is he getting? Why doesn't Indiana Jones shoot him (laughs) like halfway through? Why Why is Indiana Jones so dumb that he keeps believing this guy when he says he's a triple, quadruple? He's a double agent. No. He's a triple agent. No, he's a quadruple agent. That, I, mm. I guess my theory on that is I just think Spielberg is so bored by this material that he's like, well, what can I do to make this interesting? Oh, let's get Ray Winstone. He's a good actor. He's kind of a fun, scrappy British guy that's fun to, he'll be fun to work with. And so let's just give him something to do. We'll give him a, and let's, a suitcase let, of money. And let's let him be a stand in for the capitalist who also gets his comeuppance. Yeah, let's even give him the stupid line. I'm a capitalist, Jonesy. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. And so, her the the communist greed for knowledge and the capitalist greed for wealth undoes them both. The communist greed for knowledge is like what? The famous communist greed for knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, Come on, guys. I mean, it's a nice. uh, It's another nice conceit that they do nothing with. I like the idea of the bad guy whose goal is to know unknowable things. And at the end, their comeuppance is they know too much and they die. That's a nice little conceit for an Indiana Jones movie. Sure. But I didn't even feel like I locked on to that being who Kate Blanchett was until the very, like she was punished in such a way that I had to retroactively decide that's kind of who her character was. Right. But I didn't really get that going into it. No, they did much better, a much better job with Ilsa and her motivations. Yeah, or with Belloc. Yeah. He's willing to work with the Nazis because... He wants the... He wants the, the transmitter to God. He he, yeah. he wants to... Yeah. He, he really believes in this stuff. He's a true zealot. He's he's going to make us do the ritual and wear the priestly garments and stuff. Well, I, yeah, I guess he doesn't get punished the worst. Probably the torturer guy gets punished the worst, but he's going to get punished the second worst. His <laughs> head's going to explode. Okay, so uh, we got that motorcycle scene. Which I like. I, I wish the I wish the motorcycle scene instead of being the worst scene in the movie, or instead of being the best scene in the movie, was the worst. Like if the motorcycle scene was like the bare minimum. Yeah, well, you got a good movie at that point. Like, yeah. But yeah, what a sad best scene. Yeah, it's not much. It doesn't begin to even be in the pantheon of great Indiana Jones action scenes. But at least it kind mm-hmm. of feels like it exists in our world with our physics and with Harrison Ford's older body doing things that it might be able to plausibly do. Slightly better than the water, than the raft scene. Yes. The raft scene in... Temple. In Temple. Yep. Well, because this movie has a dumb oh, raft, its own scene. raft scene. It's own too. bad raft scene where the characters yeah. defy all logic and physics to do things they wouldn't be able to do. Yep. Uh, okay, we're going to go to some ruins and find a thing. War mythology we don't care about. That little Indian guy's going to jump around or whatever Imagine he is. naked Indians jumping around. Yeah, we're going to have our one moment of token moment of xenophobia with this guy jumping around and then we're going to shoot a dart backwards into his mouth or, or one little moment of gleeful violence maybe and a nice villain dispatch that but if that's the most interesting thing that your movie has then that's not saying much pretty risky move that one by the way yeah I'm sure that's how i would have 
than that. <laughs> yeah, well, you're relying on the fact that somehow this dart is going to be poisoned on both ends. And and you're going to be able to to beat him to the blow and blow harder. And why not just like punch him in the throat? Yeah, once again, if that was if this was Raiders of the Lost Ark, that would be one weak but gag it, among. Well, yeah, but yeah, in a movie that has fun gags like that, you just like it. Hey, it's a fun gag. It's fine. But I think I think that this movie is so so bad it's worth picking on it. Like, yeah, that was the best table scrap you could give us. Yeah, if you're giving us a perfect meal, then we'll accept some okay dinner rolls. But if the best thing that your movie has is these you dinner know, rolls, you pull out the dinner rolls. These the Pillsbury Disney <laughs> dinner rolls. It's like, oh man, we still don't know what's at stake. We still don't know that the Soviets are even in it. We, I mean, we assume they are. I think because we've seen movies before, but. There's a long stretch of this movie that kind of just still feels like first act setup. Well, how long does it take to get to Karen Allen? Like We're like halfway through, I think. I know. And, and the story hasn't even really kicked in. And then we're supposed to have another moment where we're like, oh. And then we still have to like get to the inevitable reveal that Mutt's Indy's son. Just like, Which they throw that away guys. in that dumb, bad comedy scene with the, we're falling into quicksand on an obviously constructed set and- He's going to throw a snake to Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones doesn't like snakes. I remember that. Hilarious. Nom, nom, nom. Popcorn's delicious. I'm stupid. You, can, you need the moment with Indy and the snakes when you're doing a an Indy reprise, a curtain call 10 or 15 years later. That's fine. But mm-hmm. I mean, again, you deserve to have it made fun of if you're not any one of these you know, moments in and of themselves... It's like, okay, well, we can forgive that if you give us a good movie yeah. like, that has good moments. Like, we'll forgive the dorky moment and we'll say, yeah, you know, this, you had to have the snake in there. It was inevitable. And he threw the snake. Okay, it's kind of dopey, but you know, hey, I like it. I like it. Why do I like it? Because I like everything else and therefore I like this. Yeah, there's no perfect Indiana Jones movie besides maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark, but Temple of Doom and Last Crusade both have moments that you only go with because you're going with everything else. Yeah. But but you've got to start, you got to move the tide mm-hmm. in a direction, you know, like this is just still water. Well, so much of this movie is just banking on the fact that we're bringing capital from the other movies. And it's like, and you can't do that in any, you can't do that in any movie. You just can't do it. You can't afford to do that. You can't do that in life. You know, like I still have to be Jake's friend again tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, you can do that in life. But I mean, there are times that you take things for granted or make or, or depend on things but it's still like relationships are with people are always developing they're always moving forward relationship with movie characters are too like we're not just here to remember how great marion was in the other movie she has to be doing something she has to have a reason to be here now yeah the reason is we wanted nostalgia and drama with indy's son but but they don't even do any drama. That's the other thing. My the image that's stuck in my head of Karen Allen from this movie is Karen Allen just smiling. She smiles. Me through, too. Exactly through this whole movie, and that's not that. That is Karen Allen. When you see her in interviews, it seems like she's just really excited to be in another Indiana Jones movie. She's just a, you know, what a, another generation would have called a real spitfire. You know, she's just one of those ladies who's enthusiastic and excited and happy to be there and mm-hmm. happy that somebody remembered her. You know, I, mean, I don't mean to be mean about that, but it really just feels like. Karen Allen is really happy to be there. That's the exact opposite of the Marion Ravenwood character from Raiders of the Lost Ark. The whole conceit with her is she's not happy to be there. She's been being dragged along. She whines all the time. 
she wants to make Indiana pay through the nose for burning down her bar, and then they're going to gradually fall in love and all that. But there's a lot of like built-in conflict with that character. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's weird how much they don't lean into that at all. Well, and does, then, she, does she punch him? I don't remember. I don't know. I mean, do they give us something obvious like that? Even I don't. I don't think so. We're supposed to take that character, have her be pregnant and jilted at the altar by Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. and then be all Indiana Jones. Yeah, like twenty years later. And, and basically ready to so uh, fall back into his lap without any any work on his part. Yeah. It's a pretty sexist conceit, actually. Like, oh, she's just been waiting for you all this time. Doesn't really matter who you are now or what happened or the fact that she had to raise a son by herself for however old Shia LaBeouf's supposed to be, 25 years. It's okay. She's been waiting to marry you. Mostly just because that's what the fans always talked about should happen. Not because anybody really believed in it or had a good story to tell about it. So I don't know what happens then. I guess there's really only two big things that happen in this movie after that. There's there's the action scene, like the big action scene in the jungle with all the terrain eating computer generated vehicles and stuff. Yep. And the ants. And the ants. That's when, if you're a true Indiana Jones fan and you're sitting in the theater the first time, that's when your heart just finally dies and you just give up. Like you've been waiting the whole time. It's not you been think, great. You keep giving it the benefit of the doubt. You keep trusting that there's going to be that set piece and that. Like Steven Spielberg's capable of doing a lot of things poorly. We've seen bad things in his other movies. But at the end of the day, when Steven Spielberg has to deliver a big action set piece, he's going to do it. The Lost World's a bad movie. I guess you've, you said you've never seen it, right? Yeah. It's a bad movie, but it's got its big action scene. And it's a good big action scene with the trailer dangling over the cliff. I'm sure people remember. You know, I mean, he can do that in his sleep. This was the big action scene. This was like, the movie was designed around this. And man, I don't even remember Indiana Jones doing that much. I remember Shia LaBeouf sword fighting. Yeah, he's sword fighting and jumping between. I remember him doing the Tarzan thing and getting a bunch of monkeys. Yeah, he does a Tarzan thing. And then Indiana Jones has a fist fight with that Russian thug, the ants. I, I guess that guy comes the closest to being the scenery-chewing Russian villain that I wanted from this movie, but... He doesn't really get much to do. He has a good mo- moment early in the movie. When he ties his shoes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good moment. But then those CG, bad CGI ants. And there's been so many movies that have done that sort of thing. Like the stupid 1999 mummy had those scarab beetles scarabs, and stuff yeah. like It's like, what you, what you really don't want to do when you're Spielberg is you don't want to be caught. Being a cheap ripoff of somebody of else's Of your competitors. Idea. Like somebody came along and did a bad ripoff of Indiana Jones. You can do a lot of things and fail in a lot of ways, but you don't want to seem like you're cribbing from people who are trying to crib from you. Yeah. That's just a, yeah. that's a bad look. And I, I, I think probably maybe the best read on it is Steven Spielberg just never saw the mummy. Cause why would Steven Spielberg yeah, waste I mean, his time? There's only two, two takes. One, he never saw it. Nobody ever said, you know, that's from this other, th-. or he thought, well, let me show these whippersnappers how it's done. But that's great. Show us how it's done then, Steve. Yeah, like, don't fall on your face, please. Yeah. You're going to swing for the fences, make it look like you swung for the fence. Like, we'll forgive you for striking out. It's got to feel like you swung for the fences, though. It doesn't even feel like that. Yeah. Well, and I really think, I think George Miller coming along in his 70s and doing Mad Max is a real slap in the face to this movie. Like, old people can come back and do the thing that they they were known for and do it better with all the modern tools. Not just... 
recreate it and not just one up it, but 20 up it. Make everything, make all previous work irrelevant. Right. Like, yeah, that's what you kind of, that's, that's what you want. You want this to be the, you want, you want kids the same way that kids are actually with the prequels. Like a lot of kids, once they've seen those lightsaber fights, they don't have any patience for Luke being a dork and empire strikes back with his little blue lightsaber when he's fighting Darth Vader. That's just slow and boring. Yep. You kind of, you know, where's the flips? Yep. You, George Lucas knew well enough to do it then. Yeah. But one up yourself, buddy. Yeah. This is not a one up. This isn't even a parallel. This isn't even a lateral move. <sighs> Look, I'm just going to keep coming up with more ideas here, but okay. One argument is, well, you know, part of the problem with the action scene and the why, reason we had to go CGI and whatever else with the stuff is that Harrison Ford can't do the thing. That's just an argument for don't make the movie or an argument for you have to build the entire conceit of the sequence around the fact that he's going to be driving like exactly. Harrison Ford actually so, could do most of Raiders of the Lost Ark so here's I mean here's my conceit he's shown us that he can fly a play, plane before he just doesn't know how to land it what if we threw him in a flying saucer that yeah. he had to fly there you go. I made that the action scene yeah like it's, we can do that that's something we've never seen before and let's make a Han Solo joke at that moment and not I have a bad feeling about this at a different moment you can make it the Han Solo joke like make him fly a spaceship mm-hmm that in and of itself is a good Han Solo joke. Let's have Mutt's style be a, a leather vest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then it's suddenly when we see it in the context of a spaceship, yeah, I mean, that'll be a fun joke. I don't know. Uh, I'm spitballing things that could be really stupid, but I mean. It's something. It's, it's something, right? Yeah. Like, feels like what you didn't do is sit in a writer's room and brainstorm great ideas mm-hmm. to throw away. So here you go. Here are a bunch of ideas to throw away, but eventually we're going to get to the good one. Right. Well, and if you want to keep it earthbound, you I think you still need, I don't know. I mean, maybe they just exhausted everything. We have the iconic truck chase, the iconic mine chase, and the iconic uh, tank chase. You kind of need the fourth thing. Yeah. Whatever it is. Like, it can't just be some random vehicles. One of them is a CGI thing that chews up foliage in a jungle. There has to we be even like- did the boat chase that was pretty james bondish and so even if we're repeating ourselves this has to be the blank chase it has to be like what will indiana jones do with this vehicle what will right. what will he do with this obstacle and yeah i mean maybe, maybe spaceship by that metric actually was the way to go because it's not a bad one when you've if, got an old an old man and you need something that's different i don't know you have shia labeouf sliding around on the top of that thing trying to keep his balance i mean there's stuff you could do with it yeah Maybe that was all in the rejected Indiana Jones and the saucer men from Mars thing. Yeah, maybe it was. But listen, if you make a terrible movie, we uh, we I reserve the right to spitball a thousand ways to make it different. I'm just trying to think what other vehicles on Earth they haven't used, and I, Indiana Jones has used. So you put it in the most fi- all of them. Put, putting it in the 50s, so maybe he's got to fly a drone. Maybe he's got to fly a spaceship. Maybe maybe it's a rocket thing like maybe it's a or maybe let's just find some more interesting terrain maybe it's a really steep slope and everybody's whizzing down it maybe it's or sliding down yeah maybe it's a rocket car yeah yeah there's well they kind of did do rocket car the way that he gets to the little oh right 1950s uh the the nuke site or whatever so ha spielberg sees you one and uh, bets and loses his hand and Mm. loses a bunch of chips Honestly, Jake, the same thing that happened to our last episode is happening to me right now, which is I absolutely have to get to our youth group. Uh, and we've not finished. And we've not finished. Are we doing a three-parter or are we just going to call it good? 
I think we're going to call it good. I think we do need to spend some time talking about the hero's journey stuff. So maybe we'll do like a, maybe our next episode should be, I'm pitching this in real time on air, but maybe it should be like a Indiana Jones wrap up, wrap up. Where does hero's he journey? Superhero's I, journey. Yeah. I want to, I, I have some things to say about where he's placed in all of that. And in this movie specifically. Yep. Um, and kind of the, just the trajectory of heroes that, got us to old lame Indiana Jones. Um, yeah. There's definitely some things we want to say about that, but is there anything else we want to say about this movie specifically? I mean, you've got that, you've got that scene at the end, it's curiously unenergetic and listless ending where they all just kind of converge at the temple and walk around and, make their and way through some stuff. And then, and then we've got the wedding at the end. Yeah. He takes that hat. Ha ha. Takes that and then he slicks his hair back and mm. see, you know, it didn't really register with you, did it? Still did it. Like still didn't register. I don't think I actually had the thought that, oh, his iconic thing is his hair instead of a hat. Mm. Like, yeah. Did well, not register with me. It's not that iconic. <laughs> until I had to think about it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm not Stupid. a hater of the spaceship at the end or the aliens. I mean, they, they I think they both could have worked in a vastly different movie i yeah i'm not a hater of the idea of bringing indiana jones into contact with space aliens i will tell you what i I, might have been at the time when it came out but at this point i think there are lots of ways to actually do that movie well yeah and there's lots of evidence on the side of trust george actually don't trust him to write dialogue but trust him to do other things conceptually trust him conceptually trust him creatively (sighs) yeah i don't know this movie's lame the that spaceship takes off. Man, the the more we get into this stuff, the more I just feel bad and sympathize with George Lucas and wonder how bitter of an old man he has to be. I gave you guys such great sandboxes and then mm-hmm. you kicked me out of all of them and told me I was stupid. It'd be one thing if you actually showed me up and... But you can't live up to a thing I've done. The, the only thing that I think he's actually gone on record is, is really definitively saying that he liked, if I'm not mistaken, is Rogue One. I think he had some kind things to say about that one. Everything else, he's been political. Well, early on when Force Awakens hit, he did some interview where he compared it to watching his children be uh, sexually assaulted or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he got in trouble for that. You know, wasn't a very kind metaphor. So he came back and kind of cleaned it up and he's been kind of a good politician with it ever since. And he doesn't say anything particularly nice about those movies, but he'll show up and do a little set visit on Solo and hang out with Ron Howard and be a good sport, you know. And he'll the, show up to the Mandalorian and talk to those guys, talk to his boy Filoni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I have to imagine he is not happy with a lot of this stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's getting up there, but it would be fun if he got one more shot to do a star Wars or something like that. I don't think he's going to try even try to get back into the Indiana Jones sandbox at this point. Yeah. It's too bad. Yep. Too bad. Too bad. This movie didn't work too bad that this podcast is ending a podcast produced by me, executive produced by us. Oh man. I really have to get to you. We're not going to be able to do our patron choice word of awesomeness, but all our patrons are great, right, Jake? They're all great. Thank you guys so much for everything. Yeah. Support us at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Uh, We'll be talking about the Mandalorian. In fact, by the time you hear this, we've already, we've been actually like basically in real time on Fridays, releasing our hot takes on the new episodes of the Mandalorian season two over on Disney plus. So you want to hear us talk about that? 
Patreon's the place to do it. Patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. So, ex- oh man, and boy, is it great. And boy, are our thoughts interesting. Clone Wars! Yay! Woo! Well, and, Ma- and Mandalorian. Mandalorian, yep. Mandalorian! Mandalorian, yay! Woo! All right, bye. Until, until next time. It's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. That's not from this movie. It should be. 